Welcome to Conversations with Kim. This podcast is about awakening the human spirit, seeing beyond this moment, and exploring alternative paradigms for how we work, lead, and live. I invite you to sit back, exhale, and enjoy the flow. Kim Klassen is the creator of the Sustainability Theorem, a proven methodology to improve your authenticity, courage, and capabilities to be the change you wish to see in the world. After receiving her BSc in Environmental Science and MA in Environmental Education and Communication, along with the passing of her brother, she could no longer ignore the deep inner call to make small but meaningful shifts in her lifestyle that would lead to a better understanding of her place in the world and a way forward for individuals to create a more resilient society. With the sustainability theorem, Kim walks people across the bridge from the old ways of living to the new paradigm of authenticity and positive impact. Kim believes in sustainable happiness because it's hard to save the world on a bad day. In this episode, Kim shares her journey, passion, and vision while helping us to draw the link between individual growth and system change. She draws on brain science and the psychology behind learning to meet our own unmet needs encouraging us to go within, searching for our own light, answers, and authentic expression of our truth. Kim encourages us to befriend our fears and lean into the transformative power of love. for being here today. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's an honor. I want to start where I start with all of my guests. Can you introduce yourself to the network in whatever way feels most authentic for Kim? My name is Kim Clausen, and my favorite things to do are ski in the mountains and hike and spend time with my dog out in nature. And I've got a great community of environmentalists that surround me, that lift me up all the time doing this good work together. And Kim, you're one of them. So thanks so much for having me on your show. Oh, thank you, Kim. All right. So I want to talk about the work that you do do in the environmental field, but I think to get us there, it's always interesting to trace people's journeys. So you and I met in both of our oil and gas days, but there was, that was after you'd taken some strategic steps of going to BC, getting some environmental education. So I'm not going to tell your story for you, but bring us up to speed. What, what has been the journey that has taken you from young girl on the prairies to where you are today. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. So I did grow up smack dab in the middle of North America on the Canadian prairies where the joke is you can see your dog run away for days. And I think I grew up a quite a sheltered life. So the farm was down the road and we lived outside of the small town, which was half an hour outside of Winnipeg. And I didn't really know much about the world. My siblings were seven, nine and 11 years older than me. And, you know, global like talks of global issues and that were kind of outside of my my little bubble that I was in being such a young girl and then when I was 18 I decided to move to Whistler BC and experience mountain life and wanted to snowboard and delay the onset of adulthood (laughs) figure my thing out so there I had a boyfriend who basically broke my bubble he burst my bubble about the ways of the world and told me things that I did not know. 
And he told me that the way that we're living is having a detrimental effect on the planet we, we survive on. And so this really got me and I had to take a few years there to figure out what I was going to do about this information. And I started tree planting and I was learning more from those kinds of people about um, like free trade agreements and global economies and the impact that corporations can and cannot have on the environment, what, how you, the power you can have to do good, but then also how profit drives everything and just really opened my eyes to the ways of the world. And so I decided to get a diploma in integrated environmental planning technology. This was back in the day I graduated, I think in 2000. So there wasn't a lot of those kind of environmental programs at all in Canada. So I was lucky to find one close to where I was living in, in the Kootenays of British Columbia. And um, after I got that, then I got my Bachelor of Science um, in Environmental Science from Royal Roads University, which again, I was like the second graduating class from. It was just a brand new program. And then I went on to work in oil and gas, like you say, in Alberta, reclaiming and remediating well sites. And so all along this time, I was, I was gaining these environmental values. But I was also noticing how hard it was to live these environmental values because I was using everything on the outside to make myself feel better on the inside. And it was just this really deep contradiction within myself. And I didn't understand really how to change it because I didn't know the skills and the tools to self-soothe. I didn't know how to really take care of myself and, and feel fulfilled on the inside. And this is kind of an issue that I had my whole life. And I'm just going to go there and talk about something that is often taboo that I really think it should not be, which is, is suicide. Um, so a lot of the times in my life where life got hard, I would just automatically go to suicide because I did not have the coping skills and the mechanisms to deal with it. So it would just get hard and I would fall down and it would take me forever to pick myself back up again. So much time and energy to get back to a good place again. Then in 2005, unfortunately, my brother closest to me, seven years older than me, he ended up taking his life. He didn't want to be here anymore. And that was when I was, it was my second year in Calgary working in oil and gas. And I realized that I just couldn't have this coping strategy myself anymore for my life. And I also realized that the job I was in wasn't fulfilling. I didn't want to keep cleaning up messes while we were still making them. So I, I started to think about how I could make things better for myself and for the world. So I started digging into self-help books and actually doing the exercises and the practices, which is just <laughs> what a concept, hey, like not just read them, but do it. And meditation was one of the first practices that I learned and was deeply fulfilling and really started changing my life from that point on because I found this sense of calm and complete love and a holding like I felt really held like an, boundlessly um, for the first time in my life and it felt like on the inside everything was okay and I just all I had to do was sit down and close my eyes and focus on my breathing and just like let all the thing other things go away and I could find this like deeply fulfilling more than any other experience I had in my life, like so fulfilling and filled with so much love, more than any love I'd felt with another human or for myself. And so I thought, 
this is the ticket. And so many other good things came after that. But I also at that point decided, like I said, I didn't want to keep cleaning up messes while we were still making them. So I uh, started, I enrolled in a master's program for environmental education and communication. And I wanted to switch my career from the technical environmental science more to the social sustainability. I wanted to be on the leading edge of making change and being um, proactive instead of reactive in our ways of dealing with environmental issues. And I guess that kind of leads me up to when I met you because I was managing the department at that time. That that was unexpected, Um, got that amazing opportunity and it afforded me to be able to take my master's. And so I was doing those two things at the same time. And it was a really intense part of my life, especially after my brother passed, but um, it was all kind of um, meant to be. And then when I graduated my master's in 2008, of course, it was the um, global economic collapse. And it was really hard to find jobs because I was kind of switching tracks in my career. And the jobs that I was finding weren't really hitting the mark for me. They weren't really getting at the core root of our what I thought our problems were. And then that led me all into figuring out the sustainability theorem. So thank you for that. And thank you for making that link between the environment purpose meaning and mental health and being so transparent about Mm -hmm. your struggles as well as what your brother was up against because I I think there you said it's taboo and I think there's so many people that feel that way and we don't talk about it and I know from the work that you've shared with me about the sustainability theorem there's a big part of mental health and its link to the environment in the situation that we're in with the environment. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can take me there a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I said, how it started for me was I was like gaining these environmental values and I was caring more and I wanted to make a difference, but you know, back in the day, it was all about recycling and um, when you're going to clothes shopping, make sure the tag just doesn't say China and then you're good to go. And like the, the criteria for being a good environmentalist back then was the bar was pretty low. <laughs> the bar was pretty low. And um, to, to reframe that now to this day, I'm so happy for the youth today or anybody on the planet. It's like, it's so empowering to know that if you just like take meat out of your diet, you're creating, like you're reducing your own personal emissions by over 50%. Like it's so amazing. So that's super empowering. But back in the day, I just I just felt like I was just consuming so much to make myself feel better on the inside. That's the only way I could really describe it. So when I graduated from my master's and I was looking for those jobs and wasn't finding it, I really looked at what it was that I thought, what is sustainability? Like I'm trying to get at the heart of the matter here. For me, what I all I could could say to myself in that moment before I'd really dug into it was I just think the world needs more love. Like I think we just need more love. So I started to look at sustainability and the triple bottom line, people, planet, profit, the term that John Elkington coined for for the triple bottom line. And I looked at people. Well, what about people? And I think if we are more conscious, we're more aware, then we're able to self-reflect and see the impact that we have on others and the planet around us, the actions that we're taking and the impact that they have. If you're not conscious and aware, you're not going to notice those things. You don't self-reflect. So I think, first of all, people need to be more conscious. 
And then I looked at planet and I thought, well, we just need to be more connected to it. Like we're so far removed. We live in these houses. We got flush toilets. We don't even hardly grow our own food. We're really disconnected from the planet and the nature around us. And if we can get more connected with it, then we're going to care for it more. Just like I'm really connected to my grandma and I care for her and I can do that. Even when I'm mm-hmm. having a bad day, grandma's need something. I'm having a crappy day. I can still go outside of myself to go help her. Cause I really care about grandma, somebody on the other side of the world that needs my help. And I'm having a bad day. It's going to be a big reach for me to go outside of my bad day and help them because I don't have a connection to them. I don't understand. And so, yeah, I thought we need to be more connected to ourselves. First and foremost, we need to understand ourselves better, spend that time with ourselves and, and be more connected with other people and with the nature and the planet around us. And then I looked at profit and I just thought, well, that's just our consumption. So I noticed for me, whenever, when I became more conscious and more connected, then I automatically consume better and differently. And I just thought, well, that's the ticket there. There's like, that's the new triple bottom line, like consciousness, connection, consumption. And then along the way, I started to teach uh, public speaking. And I learned a more feminine strategy of, of public speaking and being authentic when you're on the stage and being able to really land your message with the audience by speaking from a place that's not memorized or contrived, but just authentic in the moment and really knowing your truth. So when you're really connected with yourself and you're feeling good about yourself, then it's so much easier to speak your truth and inspire others, motivate others, change perceptions. And so on came to the sustainability theorem, totaling it up at the end is communication. So that became the sustainability theorem. And now it's a three-month program that I work through with clients. They've got the online school that has one of um, Uh, every week is a new module with a lesson in there and practices that they can take. And then they spend an hour a week with me as well throughout the three months. And we work on healing on the inside and finding your authenticity and figuring out how it is that you can make change on the outside to impact not only your lifestyle and your community, but potentially the world, because we just don't know what kind of genius is hiding inside of you. Once you unleash your authenticity and you're allowed to feel free within yourself. Uh, everyone's got a different perspective and way of looking at the world. And we need all those different kinds of views to come together to create these new solutions to old problems mm. that we've never had before. The old kind of thinking isn't going to create these solutions. And so we need people to really be, you know, thinking from the authentic selves and being able to share with confidence and conviction their ideas. Cause it just might be the thing that makes the biggest difference. Thank you for sharing that. So mm. if I'm understanding this correctly, it's moving from that starting. I think we always start, you talked about when the bubble bursts, you know, when our bubble bursts and we see the world as it really is in all its glory and beauty, but also in the pain and the challenges and everything that we're up against as a species in a world. I think we want to go, at least for me, it's like, you want to go to that immediate action. What can I do? What can I do? And if I'm hearing you correctly, the sustainability theory says like, yes, you're going to get there, but let's start to work on you first. So that when you do move into action, it's coming from a place of, alignment with your gifts, who you are, 
and you've got the capacity to withstand some of the storm that we know happens as we bring our gifts into the world. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's building resiliency within the individual to be able to have an impact within themselves, but then also on the world. We're looking at systems change here. We are to the point now where it's clear that a lot of our systems are starting to crumble and collapse under the pressure of all the things that are happening now with climate change and the pandemic and the way um, capitalism works and democracy works. Like all our systems seem to really be struggling right now. And even before the pandemic, people were saying, we need systems change. We need systems change. Well, guess what makes up the systems on planet Earth? It's people. So if we want systems change, we have to change. And I felt that strongly within myself. I had to change. I was like gaining these environmental values. I was learning what was good and what wasn't good for the planet, but I wasn't acting on them. I was having such a hard time to behave in a way that would honor those values that I had. And it was so frustrating. It was so frustrating for me. And I would berate myself. It's like, why can't you just not buy that thing? Why can't you just, you know, forgo that? Why can't you just miss out on that? And that's what it was. It was like environmentalism was this othering, this missing out, this FOMO. And I don't, I, I felt like it didn't need to be that way, but I didn't know what the answer was until I just, I, I hit my rock bottom, one of my rock bottoms mm. after my brother passed. And I realized that I got to do my work. So I dug in and I did my work. And then from that is how I really put the two together. It's like, we are part of the system. If I want the system to change and I want these changes to happen, I need to change. I often say that like our external world is a reflection of our internal world. Mm -hmm. And if we look in our house, I mean, we could look at our relationships and our family. And if we say, you know, I don't like this, this isn't working. It's chaos. I always challenge people to look, look inside because often what you're seeing is a mirror. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that when individually we do this, that collectively it has this amplifying effect when everybody's doing their own work and their work is going to be different for whoever you are and sorting out their own things, that there is this, the world will change. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you can see it. You don't even know that you are creating change around you. I used to get frustrated when, you know, somebody would ask me for help on something and I would tell them and I would tell them everything I know. And then they wouldn't implement it. And then maybe a, a couple months or a year, three years down the line, they would be implementing it and they would be telling everyone how great it is and how this other person showed them about it. And I remember that frustrating me and not my ego wanting to have the credit, wanting all the shining and the light and everything to be on me in the spotlight. And I finally realized the value in being a seed planter. And it's actually, mm. it's actually really fun. It's way more fun than being in the spotlight. And you just know that you're planting little seeds and they, they're hearing you. It's going into their subconscious somewhere and it may come out into the consciousness but they, the seed has been planted. And like, we know from adults, from studies that adults need to be told at least, I think the, it used to be seven times, it might be even more now, because we're so information overloaded. Mm. Oh, man, there's so much letting go in that, Kim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to look at 
And I know you can't divulge what your clients are doing, but you are now working with people on a larger scale, one-on-one, and you're seeing them go through this program, realize their values, find ways to be in alignment with who they are, and then bring that gift to life. What are you seeing as your program gains momentum and you have a number of people that are concentrating on their own version of triple bottom line? People come to me for all sorts of things. Some, sometimes they just say, I want to do what you do. <laughs> sometimes they don't know what they want to do. They just know they want the world to be better. Sometimes they're students going into school and they want to know how to focus their studies. Sometimes they're in school and they don't know what they're going to do when they get out of school in the environmental field because it's so broad and it's not like signing up for uh, to be a lawyer and then you specialize in family law. You know, right. you, you sign up for an environmental science degree, but oh my gosh, geez, there's so many things you could do with that. Um, so they're doing all sorts of things, but primarily what they're what is really happening is that they have the confidence and the conviction to go forward with what it is that they want to do. And in the process, um, because there is so much uncovering of self and self-reflection and analyzing of, of self, looking at what the strengths are, what lights them up, um, then they, they find what their thing is and they're able to pursue it more. So I'm there to facilitate their personal growth, but also their growth out in the world. And I do it with a lot of question asking. So it's a combination of coaching and consulting. I want to touch on this because I find for me, it's hard not to lose heart in that I feel like I have done similar to you on a journey of the meditation, the been on a bunch of retreats, connected with myself, found my passion, all of those things. And I, I am a more and more as I age coming of the belief that I don't have to do everything. I have to find my one note and play that. I'm not the symphony, I'm the note. Nice. And yet the challenge is how do I not lose heart in that there's this popular media narrative out out there of doom and gloom. And I know that's only part of the story and that it seems like there's also these new technologies and there's innovation and there's people that are saying, no, like things really need to change. But I think to be able to build the bridge between those two worlds, you have to walk that line between feeling things fully. So not allowing yourself to harden, but then not falling into despair and apathy with what you see And also not kind of falling into blind hope and optimism, holding that line between the two worlds. And, and for me, it's been, it is this repetitive journey of learning myself, figuring out what I am falling down to maybe, okay, you're in a little bit of a despair place, or you're a little bit blind optimism and trying to straddle that middle. How do you help people with this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really comes back to leaning into your own intuition. And that is one of the things that we work on in the connection section when you get more connected with yourself primarily is leaning into your intuition and, and, and learning about it, learning to hear from your higher self. And that is the most soulful and soothing voice that you can listen to and hear in all the chaos out there. And so if you wanted to just start today to tap into your intuition, I would offer you to see if something makes you feel expansive or if it makes you feel contractive. 
And that is just a first step of, that we work through in the theorem of learning how to, to communicate with your intuition and to really feel it. Because we have become so disconnected with that aspect of ourselves. Um, so I think that that's a good thing to lean on to provide support when you are having a hard time. Mm. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on hope and optimism and the role that they play right now as we grapple with these things. I'd love to hear it, though. Ultimately, I think we're here to learn love. That's our growth and expansion. The universe is ever expanding. I think that we are too. And I think that primary expansion um, energetic is love. And so I think that ultimately we're here to learn love. And that happens in all the different kinds of ways. Getting frustrated that your technology is not working and keeping your cool. That's learning love, you know, (laughs) dealing with your dog that is, is doing whatever, like that's learning relationships. All of it um, is just a process of learning love, challenging yourself to get your master's and write a good thesis. That's a process of learning love. And so all of these actions that we take in our lives are just towards that ultimate action. And I think that I, that we'll never have it all, which is, which is kind of cool to come to the realization, you know, there's no end point. There's not some place we're trying to get just like in my life. There's when I have this, when I've done that, that's never going to happen. And it's never going to happen in the universe because it's ever expanding. So there is no end point. This is a journey. Just get on and enjoy the ride, you know, do your best. So there's not really an end point. And I think that I think that holding that space for that is going to help make it that much easier to get through. So I like that you're going here because I think as our environmental values, our social values expand, that story of not enough can really fuel on I'm not doing enough. I need to do more. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. How do you get to that? And I like, I like what you're saying and that, well, the universe is, we know this scientifically, it's expanding. We're in an expansion period. And so you're never actually going to be able to get to enough. And yet I think psychologically we're programmed to think that there's this place where we arrive. So tell me, how do you allow yourself to be enough? How do people get to that enough place? while still holding this expansive vision for what's possible that Mm -hmm. we're not at today. Yeah. So there are two biggest fears as humans. It's universal is that we are not good enough and we do not have enough. And fear is the, is the reptilian part of our brain, the older part of our brain that runs the show when our logic and our, our conscious state like gets away from us. Right. So when we're in this fear state, we're in fight or flight, and we're not able to respond in a methodical, analytical, calm, conscious sort of way. And that's when we start to make mistakes. We start to say and do things that are not authentic to ourselves. And we we're living out of fear and it's not a healthy, sustainable place to be. And it's certainly the opposite of resilience. A good amount of fear is necessary to fuel us to make change, to try harder, to um, serve better, whatever, but it's not sustainable ultimately. So we need to start. This is kind of where my studies came, like started way back in the day about how 
how fear impacts the brain and then learning more about the brain. And this is the first thing that we learn in the sustainability theorem is the development of the brain, because I think it sets us up for the kind of behaviors and capabilities that we're able to do as adults. I, I know what it does, obviously, science is, is, there's been so many studies on it. So how the brain develops between zero to seven is so crucial for how we are going to be as adults. And there's different brainwave state frequencies that occur. And the first one is the delta brainwave frequency. And that is when we're born. And it's a really low frequency. And you're not capable of thinking or doing much, which is why babies sleep so much. And in the adult state, we are in a delta state when we're sleeping. And then the next brainwave state frequency to develop at around nine or just around a year old is the theta brainwave state. And that is a higher frequency. So you start to, your brain is capable of intaking more information and you're capable of a little bit more. You can crawl, you can say sounds and that maybe not necessarily talk right at the beginning, but you can, you realize that there's words coming out of your, like sounds coming out of your mouth and you're capable of a bit more. You stay up longer, nap a little less. And for us, that's kind of the state as adults, that's kind of the state that we're in just before we drift off to sleep. Like that kind of like, I'm aware of myself, but I can't feel my body. Like you're kind of in that state. And then the next one to develop um, when you're about three or five years old between those ages, because it's different for everybody, um, is going to be the um, alpha brainwave state. And as adults, when we're in that state, it's kind of like when we're watching TV, we're zoned out or, you know, when you're in the meeting and you're just kind of like staring off and you can hear everything that's going on around you and you know that you're in a meeting and, but you just get this kind of warm sensation over your body. And it just feels so like you're taking a break, you know, <laughs> you're just, you know, there's like, I'm zoning out for a little bit. And, um, and then, of course, the beta brainwave frequency is around, comes up uh, around when, when you're seven or eight. And for us right now as adults, you and I are speaking in that state right now. So there's, there's high, low, and um, regular beta. So when you're in low beta, you're kind of more in a little bit of meditative state. Maybe you're reading a book or a report or something or driving your car um, on autopilot. <laughs> or if you're in high beta, you're really stressed, right? And so these, to know these brainwave states is really important because then as adults, um, we know that throughout the development of the brainwave states, whatever is happening around you is impacting them. So your neural pathways in your brain are developing. There's new neural networks building bridges and strengthening. And so your, um, the information's coming in. It then turns into a thought, it then becomes a belief, and then it eventually becomes a value. And so that is all developed based on the environment and the caretakers you had around you when you were young. And that really frames the kind of individual you will be as an adult. And we used to think before we learned about neuroplasticity and epigenetics that we stayed the same. You know, if you were born into an alcoholic family and you were an alcoholic, you were just going to be an alcoholic unless you tried really hard and you willed yourself not to do it. Or, you know, if you had abuse or something happened and that was like, like kept happening generation after generation. So we now know that we can change these patterns in our brain and we can actually go into a meditative state. So we, when we go into a meditative state, we're lowering our brainwave frequency and when we do that, we can start telling stories that are 
getting our needs met when we were young. So certain things happened when you were young that maybe didn't get your needs met. We all had things happen in our youth where we as an individual did not get our needs met. And that created some sort of reaction within ourselves that carried on throughout our lives. And it potentially could be a negative reaction within ourselves that doesn't really help us as adults, that we, we react to this kind of person because that's how it was imprinted on us when we were young. And now every time we meet this kind of person, they trigger us and we react and it throws us off our day, off our game or whatever. And that's not helpful to us. So we know that we can go into a meditative state. This is one way of doing it. There's so many different modalities to rewire the neural network in your brain, but um, the way that I like to do it is because it's free. Anybody can do it. You just go into a meditative state and you start telling stories to get your needs met. So for me personally, I had a dad who was um, a, a mega man. Like he just was so prolific in his career and his industry and he provided for the family and he was an amazing husband, but he just wasn't really there for me as a dad. And so I did not get my needs met. So now as an adult, I go into a meditative state and I go in and I, I create this father or I use him, but sometimes mostly I create another father that gets my needs met. He's reading the stories. I sit on his lap. He tells me he loves me. He spends time with me. He engages with me, all this. And it has changed the relationship now that I have with my dad. I'm not needy towards my dad anymore. My dad can be just my dad and I accept him and love him for who he is. And it creates so much less friction within my family. And now when I meet other people out in work situations that remind me of my dad, I don't get triggered by them and I remain cool, calm and collected, Kim, and I can be professional, right? So when you think about the way of the world and trying to, trying to absorb all the things that are happening in the world and having them trigger you versus having resilience towards them. I think a lot of this has to do with, again, building ourselves up on the inside so we can, we can take on these challenges that are facing us right now and will continue to face us in the future even more and more. We're going into some crazy times here. Things aren't working. Things weren't working. And we're in this transition zone of changing up our systems. And it's a bumpy road. And it's a dark time. And we're not supposed to really see the light right now. The light has to come from within. We need to keep doing our own work to keep that light within ourselves. Because when you look out into the world right now, it's so hard to find the truth about hardly anything. And this consciousness rising is all of us doing our own individual work and going within to figure out ourselves and figure out our authentic selves so that we can represent 100% authentically and have that connection with the greater source, God, whatever it is, life force energy that created all of this and the wisdom and take that wisdom and take that authenticity and input it into the new systems that we're creating now going forward. Oof. Oh, Cam, <laughs> there's so many different places I could go. And there's like, God, there's so much in there. One of the big things that's sticking out, and maybe I'll just jump on what's coming up for me right now is I started that question with what, what do we do with this not enoughness? And if we think about consumerism on a massive scale, we're trying to fill something. And what I'm hearing from you is the only way that we can actually tend to 
that enough is to actually go inside and figure out what's the root of that unmet need. And then how do I have heard the term reparent, um, but how, how do I go back in there in a state where I'm meeting that from an authentic place and I'm filling up my own cup. So that really sticks out for me. And the other thing that I'm hearing that's interesting, I've heard other psychologists talk about, um, you know, the tyrant or the terrorist that we project in the outer world, often the people that are out chasing the war on terror um, are those that are running from the terrorist within in that ability for us to project our worst or our scariest characteristics instead of learning how to tend and befriend them out in the external world. And I, I think what I'm taking from what you're saying is that as much as systems need to change, how they change and morph is only going to be a reflection of how we've evolved as a species. And so much of that is a journey of knowing yourself, of learning your own woundings and of repattering and reprogramming aligned with the world that you want to live with. Mm -hmm. So Kim, if I'm someone listening to this and you're hitting on a truth, you talked about intuition being that first step. I'm hearing you speak. There's something that's saying yes to me. What do I do next? I would say spend that time by yourself and preferably outside. Even if you live in a city, there's nature all around you. There's clouds above, there's sunshine on your face, there's wind in your hair, there's nature around and get connected to that and start to listen to yourself. Stop listening to other people. Stop listening to the news and really learn what your truth is. I think that's just so important because ultimately we all have the same truth. Like I said, it's to learn love and to be connected to this life, not disconnected, not living in a virtual reality, not being online and, you know, numbing yourself out from everything. Um, We have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. First of all, I guess I'd preface all of that with saying, okay, just get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And then it's going to be so much easier. And having because it's not all about feeling good all the time. That's not the point. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's not. And so often when we don't feel good, we're looking for something to help us feel better. Like let's get there now. And honestly, the quickest way I've found is to just be with that uncomfortable feeling. As soon as I like settle into it and I'm like, okay, I'm just, this is, I'm feeling anxiety. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling like a sloth and I don't want to get out of bed today. Or I'm feeling like crying. I just let it be. And honestly, if I like surrender to it, it moves through me that much quicker. It's when I'm fighting it and trying to get around it and try to avoid it and push it down and numb it out. That's when it actually persists longer. And Don't try and fill your space and your thoughts with what other people think, what other experts are saying. Um, Just you have all the answers within you. You just have to spend the time practicing to learn how to hear them. Mm. You're not going to hear them probably right away. Um, If you do, great. 
But if you don't and you don't hear the answers or the messages or how to self-soothe yourself or have those pings or those like moments of like, oh, yes, this, that's okay. It just takes practice and it, it requires you to just take that time on a regular basis to get outside preferably you know, nature's also inside. If you have some pets, snuggle up to your pets, (laughs) spend some time with your plants, whatever. And yeah, just, just learn to be uncomfortable with those feelings, look into them and see where they take you. What's, what do you see as your vision for the beautiful future or a future that is possible and different that's past the darkness that some of us are living through now? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I think it's never before thing. So I don't know. But I do know what I'm really coming back to is think global, act local. And that is feeling really empowering for me. So I think with all of this, like we had in in British Columbia before Christmas, we had all of the flooding and the, the highways got washed out. And we literally did not have fresh produce in our stores. Everything was naked. There was nothing there. We had no fresh food. And it was just a real good wake up call to be like, okay, right. Yeah. I avocados from across the world and whatever that gets shipped from Mexico and all of this is, is really beautiful. And I love all the abundance that comes to me here in my small town. It's what, what a gift and that I can afford it even. But I think I'm, my vision is that I think we need to, use the good parts of our global connectivity to fuel the um to fuel the smaller communities to take back the power in our smaller communities there's studies done that say like a group of 300 people max is like after 300 who you know and can trust and can create um create a a quick response like within your community if you have about 300 people that's kind of like the sweet number to be able to not get bored with your neighbors but also be inspired by them to be able to also know them and build strong relationships and connect so that when a challenge comes up that you can act on it right away and you have that capability when you're living in a large city and you don't you can't possibly know everyone if an emergency happens the authorities will take care of it, right? Because there's, we just don't have that connectivity to be able to do that. You could perhaps on your street or in your, like your, your little development there off to the side. But I think forming community um, where you are. So I've been super intentional from the pandemic to reach out to people all the time. Um, Just text them. I'm thinking of you. How's it going? Even when I have nothing to say, or, you know, we just talked. I make sure that I'm constantly keeping those connections strong. Um, And mind you with people who are on both sides of this fence of like vaccine, not vaccine. Um, Because that's another thing that I think is really important for the vision of our future is to not cancel each other. My Mm. goodness, please, please, please. Like let's move away from this. If somebody does not believe what you're believing, or if they're not in your own personal little echo chamber, can you please like have the capacity and the wisdom to still listen to all the different voices? 
my goodness, we need to be incorporating all the different voices because that is how we learn and grow and expand. And I don't care if they don't agree with you or you don't agree with them or you still need to understand. So I think, like I said earlier, like listening to understand instead of to respond, I think is a huge one going forward for the vision of our future. I think um, thinking globally, acting locally, what can you do in your community to provide more resilience going forward? Is it creating more greenhouses, more gardens? It is, is it, you know, learning who has what skills to do what, um, having an emergency plan in place for your street, for your community, like get on board with that. Um, I think just being more active in your community is my kind of vision that we really bring it back to that communal sense of living with all the technologies that we have. Cause they're amazing too. Right. Mm-hmm. What's your vision? Oh, my vision. Oh my goodness. Put me on the spot, Kim. Mm-hmm. I, I have a similar I'm really aligned when you talk about a future where we have the capacity to listen across issues and make space for different ideas. And I, I think I have a vision, what I'm seeing in the work that I'm doing and what I'm feeling in my life of all, you know, I'll speak for myself is, so you're hitting on a number of things is wanting more genuine connection and community in my life, the places and spaces that I have cultivated that that brings a lot of energy. And I think my vision is when I look out at the world, what makes me excited is that I think the work is so clear. Like we are entering the age of restoration. And like you said, the technologies aren't, we need to learn how to work with them and leverage them. They're not something we need to turn away from. And so I think the technology is actually there to support this age of restoration. And we're also seeing this uprising of mental health, but we're more aware of mental health and that we've been trying to buy our way to happiness and it doesn't actually exist than ever. And so we're seeing, I'm seeing the momentum of people being like, well, then what does make me happy? So I I think my vision for the future is people doing purpose-driven work with people that they love to regain a connection to themselves, the earth and each other so that they feel like at the end of their days, um, I feel like at the end of the days, I've led a life of meaning and I'm surrounded by people um, as well as an abundance of nature and held by kind of the force that you're talking about, something bigger than myself that I'll probably never really understand, maybe my next life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's a great vision. I really like that. So Kim, where can people find you that want to, you've lit something up, they want to start this work and their bubbles been burst and they need that resiliency that you're talking about? Mm -hmm. Well, now that I'm off social media, (laughs) I may go back on. I was taking a three months off, but um you know, I, I've got a lot of good stuff on Instagram that's there. So it's Kimmy dot it's um, Kimmy Clausen on Instagram. Um, my website is Kim And uh, I think that would be the best place. And then of course I'm on LinkedIn under Kim Clausen. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Well, I'll share all of that in the podcast when it goes live on social media. And I just want to thank you for being so transparent, your vulnerability and your vision on planting the seed. How do we get through this, what feels like this period of darkness and come out 
connected and more purposeful on the other side. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.